Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here. You beat the time change. Congratulations. You're here. I'm going to savor this moment seeing all your faces, uh, partly because I don't get to see your faces next Sunday. Uh, it makes me sad that I'll miss our fun family Sunday, but I am going to be heading down to the LA Marathon with Team World Vision. We've got a group of people here at this church who have been training for 18 weeks now. 18 weeks we've been getting ready for a marathon or half marathon, and that involves a lot of fundraising, a lot of training, and also a lot of finding the right gear, because you don't want to run and find mile five, you've got a blister developing, because you've got a lot more miles to go. So we spend a lot of time focusing in on getting just the right gear, uh, maybe a little too much time. I really, really enjoy looking at running gear. My wife would probably tell you I spend too much time looking at running shoes, but there's a very good reason that I do that, and that's because running shoes are so stinking awesome these days. Like, the technology is advancing like never before. So, may I present to you the Nike Alpha Fly? This shoe is an absolute game changer. So it has a carbon fiber plate right under your foot, so it allows you to run faster without using as much energy, which that's the goal in running. You run faster and you don't get as tired. The little green pods right up here, those are pressurized pods of air, so they absorb the impact when you land, so it's easier on your foot. But then when you push off again, it returns that energy, so you have a, a stronger stride. It's a marvel of engineering, probably the best running shoe ever created, except that version 2 just came out, so no one cares about this one anymore. It's old news, old news. But it's so fun to look at, look at this gear, and if you have a hobby, you may know what this is like. Uh, you may enjoy cooking, and you have your favorite cast-iron skillet, and you season it with a special oil, and only use it for certain foods. Or if you're into fishing, you've got your rod and reel combination, and this reel is used with this filament fishing line because it works better. It's kind of fun to dig into the specifics of what gear works best, and it makes the experience more enjoyable because having the right gear matters. That's why we have great running gear. That's why we have cooking gear and fishing gear. So my question for today is, do we have life gear? Do we have gear for life? If so, what is it, and how would we use it? Today I invite you to geek out with me as we look at some of the gear that we've been provided with. And the good news is that we aren't just looking. I'll often just browse and browse and browse and not buy anything. But today, all the gear that we're looking at it's already been given to us. We get to use it. So let's look at how to do that. We're going to be in a passage, uh, Ephesians 6. So this is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul's a guy who absolutely hated Jesus, and then he met Jesus, and after that he loved Jesus. And he started planting churches all over the place and wrote letter after letter, encouraging these churches to continue following Jesus. Really amazing story. So this is what he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So let's stop there. One thing is very clear. We are in a battle. 
That is obviously what Paul intends to tell us if he's asking us to reach for a set of armor. So we're in a battle. What's this battle like? Who are we fighting? Who's the enemy? It's easy to read against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and just automatically insert whoever you're personally struggling with a certain political party or ideology or a world leader or just someone in your own life that you say that clearly this dark world it's got to be that person but this same verse says our struggle is not against flesh and blood so people aren't the enemy it's a very real battle that we're fighting but not against people we're fighting a spiritual enemy and throughout this passage he's referred to as the devil spiritual forces of evil and the evil one so paul in line with jesus is affirming that yes there is a devil and that's maybe not a popular concept that these days that there's an actual being who is the embodiment of evil and yet we have the authority of jesus followed up by the apostle paul saying no there is and you need to be ready for this conflict So let's look today at how we can get ready. Uh, We're going to look at the gear that we've been given for this battle, which is called the full armor of God. So verse 13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I notice that in this list, as he's describing a set of armor, Paul doesn't start at the top and work his way down. He doesn't start at the feet and build his way up. He starts right in the middle with the belt of truth, the the center, the core. I think truth needs to be central and core to who we are. A belt's job is to be an anchoring point, to hold things in place and keep you from stumbling on things that might get in your way, aka your pants if they're falling. And because of that, a belt needs to be worn snugly, right? It's got to be snug to hold things in place. There's no point in wearing a loose belt because, oh, I'm just going to wear this belt nice and loose today. Great, everything's going to start falling. Everything's going to slip, and you don't want that to happen. But we're living in a culture where we're told to just loosen the belt of truth a little bit. You know, why are you wearing that so tightly? It must be constricting, uncomfortable, loosen it up, give yourself a little wiggle room, a little freedom. You can, you can fudge the truth, or better yet, you can have your own truth. I'll have my own truth. It's fine. But truth is more than just an opinion. We can't pick and choose truth, and that's why we need to snugly wear that belt of truth. We need it to be an anchoring point. Another thing about a belt is think about how you put it on. You start at the front, You go all the way around, and you end up at the front. It completely encircles you. There are no 80% belts that just leave a a 20% gap right here. No, a belt goes all the way around you. And I think similarly, every aspect of our lives needs to be held in place by truth. Jesus calls himself the truth. He says, I am the truth. He's eternal. He's unchanging unfazed by circumstances, just like truth. So we need to be snugly and completely wrapped in that truth of Jesus, so that when everything else is moving, 
that's the one thing that doesn't move. Truth is an anchoring point. It's central to who we are. And you're going to see that we come back to truth over and over again as we go through uh, this list of armor today, because it's just so important. It really is the center of this whole thing. The next piece of gear we have, with a breastplate of righteousness in place. A breastplate covers the vital organs, most notably the heart. So righteousness protects our heart. What is righteousness? You can kind of see it in the word. You can probably make out that it's something to do with being right. And that's it. It's, it's both right actions and also a right relationship with God. We can choose righteous deeds, and we can be considered righteous before God. Naturally, we don't have either one of these. We don't always choose to do what is right. We've sinned, and because of that, God can't look at us and consider us righteous. So Jesus steps in, and he gives us his righteousness. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. Okay, so job done. Nothing for me to do here, right? Not exactly. Jesus, in one of his most famous sermons, said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, hold on. If Jesus gave me his righteousness, why do I still have to hunger and thirst for this? Why am I pursuing this? You know, maybe one way you could think of it is Jesus gives you the breastplate of righteousness. He just asks you to put it on, right? We still have choices that we make. Yes, we have this amazing relationship with the Father. And because we have that, that righteous standing before God, our choices get a lot easier. It's easier to choose to do actions that please God. Think about when you're in a wonderful relationship with someone. And that could be falling in love for the first time or just someone that you really admire, someone you really respect. When you're in that great relationship, isn't it easier and more natural to choose to do things that please them? So we can still choose what's righteous or what's not righteous, what pleases God and what doesn't please God, but those choices will have an impact on the condition of our heart. And when we pursue righteousness, we guard our heart. It's like a breastplate that covers us and guards our heart. The next piece of gear that we have in verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? Let's start there. Again, going back to our natural state. Our natural state isn't to be, uh, we're just part of God's big, happy, loving family. Everything is great. That's not naturally where we are. Our natural state is to rebel against God to fight him as though he were the enemy. Why do we do this? Because we've been lied to, right? We've been told that maybe God hates you, or God could never forgive you, or God just wants to control you with rules and regulations, or maybe God doesn't even exist, so you don't need to worry about it. Don't worry about it. And again, those are all lies, aiming for the truth that we wear like a belt, but we've been deceived, and so we wage war against God. But through Jesus, we have peace with God. We have been reconciled to him. We have a peaceful relationship instead of a rebellious relationship. 
And through Jesus, we also have peace and reconciliation with other people. Because as we forgive, as we love selflessly the way that Jesus taught us to, we are brought back into peaceful relationships with other people. The gospel is an equalizer. It unites people who would otherwise have nothing at all in common. So that is the gospel of peace. Now notice that what we have on our feet isn't the gospel itself. It is readiness that comes from the gospel. Peter, another one of Jesus' followers, wrote to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's not on the screen, but that's 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared. So what are we ready for? We're ready to give an answer. The more we understand the gospel, the more we embrace the fact that, yes, I was at war with God, and now I am at peace with God. The more we understand that, the more ready we are to give an answer. If someone says, hey, why do you have hope? In this dark world with these dark rulers and authorities, what is your cause for hope? We understand the gospel of peace. We're going to be ready with an answer. And in terms of footwear, that's even better than a Nike Alpha Fly. I said it. I said it. The next piece of gear, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I'm going to get to this shield in a second, but let's start with flaming arrows. That catches my attention right off the bat. What are these flaming arrows? Well, let's think about the context of the battle we're in and who our enemy is. We know that the evil one, the devil, Satan, he's the father of lies. He's going for the belt of truth. I can't emphasize that enough. So these arrows that are coming in that faith extinguishes, lies, doubts, questions, uncertainties, it's all an attack on the truth. And that's where the shield of faith comes in. We may not have every answer, and that's okay. Now, questions are great. It's really good to have questions. What's not good is to say, well, I don't have the answer to this question or that question, so therefore, everything that I've been taught must be completely false. I'm just going to completely abandon it. You don't have to have every answer to every question, and you never will. So next time you're in a situation where you think, I don't have this answer, I don't know this, this question, how to respond, Here's a great verse that I want you to remember. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. There are many things we don't know. There are some mysteries that haven't been solved yet. Like why do round pizzas come in square boxes? Why do you drive in a parkway, but you park in a driveway? And did Noah bring termites on the ark? That's, I'm curious about that one. Some things are just mysteries. Some things we'll never know. And there are some things about God that we'll never know. That's because he is infinite, and we are finite. But this verse gives us assurance that what we do know is enough for us to live a godly life. What we do know is enough for us to live a godly life. We build our faith based on what we do know. And I personally think it is a huge relief that God doesn't require us 
to have every answer. He doesn't say, hey, first have infinite knowledge, and then you can live a godly life and please me. We wouldn't have a chance. We'll never have infinite knowledge. And that's okay, because what he has given to us, our knowledge of him, provides us with all that we need for a godly life. Paul was writing this when Rome was the greatest empire on the planet. What made them so powerful? Was it their warm, welcoming hospitality, their homemade chocolate chip cookies? No. It was their military might, their brute strength, and their force. Roman soldiers were extremely dedicated, they were well-trained, and they were well-equipped. They had the right gear. Romans carried a variety of shields, but the most famous one is called a scutum, and we have a picture of it. So these shields are curved, so a lot of blows that would come in would just be deflected to one side or the other. You can see that it's about four feet tall, so if you crouch behind it, it's going to cover basically your entire body. This thing offers amazing protection for a soldier. But what's even more effective than just protecting a soldier is multiple soldiers using their shields together in a formation. So we have a picture here of a formation. This is an actual photograph. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is an illustration, though, of what the formations were like. This one is called the testudo formation, which means tortoise, because the shields, as you can see, they form a sort of shell. And you can notice how a soldier up front with his shield, he's protecting himself, but he could also take an arrow that might hit someone to his side, or he might take a spear thrust that would have hit someone two rows behind him. So in similar fashion, our shield of faith, our faith is stronger in community. Now, yes, each of us will give an account to God of our actions. Each of us has to make our own individual choice. Do I trust Jesus? Do I really want to follow him and give him my life? But we also gather in rooms like this to acknowledge the truth about historical facts, like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Easter Sunday coming up is so amazing. And because we share these, these facts and these truths, and we remind each other of these truths, we end up having a shared faith, a community of faith. I grew up not far from here in Southern California, but we had a pastor at my church who was from Texas, and he liked to remind us that there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. You're not out there doing it on your own. We get to experience faith in a community. And that's really, really fortunate when you consider one other thing about our enemy. He's compared to a lion seeking someone that he can devour. My wife and I have watched an outrageous number of nature documentaries. The number is truly staggering. And so I can tell you now how a lion hunts. They don't charge into the middle of a herd of animals and just announce their presence. They use ambush. They're sneaky. They'll hunker down in the bushes and just wait. Then they'll sneak a little closer, then a little closer. And when they finally make their move, their goal is to target one animal and they'll try to get it away from the herd. Often it's a sick or injured animal or a young one who's more vulnerable. Best of all is an animal who's not with a herd at all, just out there alone. Isolation 
makes a prime target for a prowling lion who's seeking someone to devour. So this is why we take up our shield of faith, and we don't do it alone. We do it in a community. Uh, All right, next up, (laughs) we have the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Think about the worst thing that can happen to you in a battle scenario. It's not a stubbed toe. It's not hitting your funny bone. It's a blow to the head, right? A blow to the head in a battle situation. That's certain death. Salvation, on the other hand, is certain life. It's certainty and assurance that we have rich, true, eternal life through Jesus. And that salvation is what we have as a helmet protecting our head. Probably the most famous Bible verse, you'll see it on signs at, you know, baseball games. John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him will not perish, blow to the head, but will have eternal life life, the helmet of salvation. You see the contrast between receiving a death blow and being spared from that death blow, and not just spared, but given eternal life. What would have been an infinite loss is replaced with an infinite gain. That's the helmet of salvation, and I think it's a really powerful reminder of something that's true about this whole set of armor we're looking at today. All of it is a gift, Our salvation, it's a gift. We can't work up our own salvation. Just like we can't create our own truth. We can't procure our own righteousness before God. All these things are gifts that have been given to us. It's gear that's been given to us to prepare us for life. The next piece of equipment is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This isn't the only place that the Word of God is compared to a sword. Hebrews 4, this also isn't up on the screen, but Hebrews 4 says, The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is sharper than a sword. It's incredibly good at opening things up. Revealing the true nature of what's inside, right? There can be some some sharp swords, but no sword can ever reveal the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But that's exactly what the Word of God does. And sometimes when it does that, it convicts us. And that's good. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. The reason we hold the Bible in such high esteem is because it's the Word of God. That is what the Holy Spirit will use as a sword. It's going to open us up. It's going to convict us. It's going to grow us and mature us as followers of Jesus. So if you've been wanting the Holy Spirit to be more active in your life, I want to experience the Holy Spirit. Give it a tool to work with. Get into the Word of God. Explore the Word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. I encourage you to use it. I think this choice of weapon is interesting as well. It's not a bow and arrow, which is apparently what the devil is using, shooting those flaming arrows. But we don't have a bow and arrow. We don't get a long-range weapon at all. I think that indicates that we don't get to keep our distance from this spiritual battle. We are meant to be prepared to be in the middle of the action. We've got a short-range weapon. 
but it's also not the club of the Spirit. Take the club of the Spirit, just start swinging. Maybe you'll hit something, I don't know. Anyone can just swing a club at random. But a sword is different. A sword is something that takes skill, it takes dedication, effort, training, probably years of training to really get good. I watched a video not long ago of just ordinary, untrained people who get the chance to take on the Olympic bronze medalist in fencing. And I'm not going to spoil the ending, because you already know how it ends, right? They don't stand a chance. They go in, and they're just clueless. They're terrified. They don't stand a chance against someone who's actually taken the time to study and train and master their weapon. So spend some time training. Spend some time in the Word of God. We know a couple things about our enemy. We know that he prowls like a lion. We know he shoots flaming arrows. Did you know that he, too, is a swordsman? Yeah, when Jesus went out into the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil, and at one point, he even came to him and twisted Scripture to try to make it mean something that it was never intended to mean. But Jesus was a more skilled swordsman. We have a spiritual duel going on here. Jesus, every single time, came back at him with Scripture, right? He knew what he was doing. I think this might be why Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, a great verse. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. There are some incorrect ways to handle a sword. Anyone who's handling a sword ought to be trained how to use it correctly. So I encourage you, do some training. And I want to encourage parents, train your kids as well. Train your kids as well. I am not a parent, <laughs> but I can tell you what my parents did for me. I can tell you that they consistently spent time reading God's word with me and discussing what it meant and those conversations were woven into every part of our lives. And I can still see the impact that that choice that they made is having in my life today. I think it's one of the best gifts that I've been given is parents who read God's word with me. Such a massive blessing. They didn't want to send me into battle unarmed, unprepared. They wanted to get me ready and train me with the gear that we have. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. So that is the full armor of God. A, a brief overview. We could go more in depth, but th those are the six pieces of gear that we have. And remember that today we aren't just browsing. We have this stuff. We've been given this armor. We get to use it. So how do we use it? Here's one application for you. I recommend praying through this passage. You could make this a part of your morning routine. So as you're putting on your shirt, be reminded of the breastplate of righteousness. We've been given the righteousness of Christ, and we hunger and thirst to do righteous things that also please God. If you're putting on a hat, God, thank you for the helmet of salvation. Thank you that you've protected me from death, from perishing, and given me eternal life. If you're putting on a belt, remind yourself of the belt of truth. God, may I stay firmly wrapped up in your truth. Your shoes, the readiness of the gospel. You probably don't take a shield with you, but remind yourself that no matter what attack comes your way, your faith can withstand that. And spend some time training with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And when you do that, 
if that's part of your morning routine, you're going to view your day a little differently. Because you're not just going to drop off the kids or spend another day in the office or get coffee or play golf. You're stepping onto a spiritual battleground. And you know that you've been given the best possible gear that you could have. So I'm going to close us in prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you care enough about us to give us gear for life. Help us to use these things, to train with them, and to be ready for the battle that comes our way. Thank you that you've given us the victory, that we know we are on your side. If we're following you, we are on the winning side. Thank you so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.